0: Everybody to Not a Bomb Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Troy, and across the aisle from me is the other host of Not a Bomb, Brad. How are you doing tonight, Brad?
1: Doing fantastic. I was going to try, hey, what's up, Bomb Squad? Bomb Squad? Or, or like, or, hey, what's up, Bomber? Hey,
0: you, insert name.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, Bob Squad. Doing? <laughs> uh,
0: you know, you, we'll we'll test that out, see how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, you have a good week? Somebody had a birthday in your house, right?
1: My wife did. So happy birthday, Natalie.
0: Yes, happy um, birthday, Natalie, my fellow Remo Williams fan. Yes. Um. Did Did you spoil her?
1: You know, it's it's <laughs> it's really hard to actually like do anything because, hey, we have two kids, and you can't go anywhere and do anything. So, um, you know, made dinner did all that stuff. She took the day off from work. So she got to just kind of relax. Okay. So, good for her. Did yeah. she get,
0: did did she get to pick the movie for that week or that night?
1: Uh, actually we didn't watch anything. Oh wow. Yeah. No, sometimes, you know, once the kids go to bed, it's like, all right, Let's just have some peace and quiet for a little bit.
0: Well, yeah. Anybody who's a parent, um, especially kids that age, you, yeah. you, you kind of get all excited about having some, uh, <clears throat> you know, quality time and then you end up, um, catching up on something and then falling asleep.
1: Yeah. Then you like actually have a conversation and then you go to bed. So. Yeah.
0: It's, adulting sucks, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, well, hey, listen. hey, you know what else sucks? Yes. I was just going to yeah. talk about this, uh, some horrible news. What, what was that? Um, you want to talk it about it? Sa-
1: Saturday, John Saxon? John Saxon, away?
0: yeah. Um, that, you know, <clears throat> we're of the age where the people that we grew up watching, um, it, it's just that time, right? <clears throat> so
1: Unfortunately, yeah.
0: It is. I mean, no, nobody's going to live forever. Uh, I can tell you right now I will probably use all my vacation time allotted in a year if anything happens to Jackie Chan. I'm just... I'm going in hiding for a month. Um, I'll have
1: to come and uh, come and make sure you're okay. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I won't. Th- be. I'll take off a week for you.
0: I'm telling you right now, I won't be. But the the news of John Saxon on Saturday, I think, hit um, because you and I met him at uh, a convention.
1: Yes, um, one super weekend. nice guy. He was. I got to nice. ask you. What's your favorite John Saxon movie? That is, which is... probably the same.
0: It's a no-brainer. No, maybe not. It's Enter the Dragon. Enter
1: the inner Dragon. Roper is his best Roper, character, right?
0: Roper, awesome. I mean, I... Yes. I, I loved him. Um, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I think he was... He was in Argento film, too. Uh, Tenebree. Um,
1: That's right.
0: So, he's he's made the rounds. And, and, you know, when you see the news and everything, everybody kind of classified him as a, as a B actor. Um. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, he was in so many uh, what I would say culturally influential films. Obviously, through 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, he was he had acting.
1: 200 credits.
0: Yeah, he was acting for the longest time. And you know, anytime he he'd pop up in a film, super nice. And I, I remember, obviously, when we met him, and I'm I'm staring across the room looking at his autograph. Uh, all my questions were around Enter the Dragon. And what was cool was um the the photo album that he had at the booth that he was showing everybody and talking about like all of the pictures and everything and and sort of the coffee table book that he put together of just his experience over there filming um and he he was sort of an accomplished amateur photographer too um but super nice guy i mean his, his stories and everything that he was talking about filming um, cause obviously the, the other person that we met in, in your hometown, Louisville, Jim Kelly, which is another dragon too, that, that was probably my highlight celebrity. Um, he passed as well. So yeah. you, you've got Bruce Lee, Jim Kelly, now John Saxon have, have gone to the great dojo in the sky, which is kind of sad.
1: Yeah, it is sad. Uh, I remember seeing enter the dragon God long time ago and that was one of the, one of the times when I saw a movie that I wish I could go back and see again for the first time. Yes. It was just so mind blowing and and you look back and like everything is kind of derivative off of Enter the Dragon. Um, you know, there's always a tournament and <laughs> you know, you're going to some island and it's really to get to the henchmen. Um But yeah, I think that movie's perfect and he's perfect in that movie. Roper's so great, so yeah, it sucks. But like you said, great dojo in the sky.
0: Yeah, thoughts and prayers, prayers to and the peace. family, man. That that and and I don't know how you feel. I mean, it's it, I think it hits a little bit closer when you when you can kind of go, oh, I kind of met that guy, and yeah, he, he wasn't just like, uh, hey, where's my money? Here's your picture. I signed it. Blah blah blah. But I remember specifically that weekend we, we got to talk to him for a long time. And of all of our friends on Facebook, it's kind of funny everybody sharing their picture of you know me and Sean Saxon, but everybody has the same. Um, story where he he was just one of those that he took time with you um and he didn't just push you through and and you could tell he had a genuine love for his fans so he's just super stand up guy great character and uh, that one hurt
1: yeah that was yeah. depressing
0: well how about on some more <laughs> not depressing stuff uh, and and let's oh yeah
1: PTSD is not depressing at all
0: no not at all let's let's get to the fun exciting stuff so we are um, episode we were just trying to figure this out it's seven right seven seven so that's an odd number that's all you see I feel like our energy is coming back um, <laughs> I, I was really generally bummed over John Saxon and um, hey I we get to talk movies so uh, that'll that'll take me out of the funk but your pick um this one's interesting Brad because July all of a sudden, you know, became action movie month and we were going through the initial 30 list and then we were talking about other action movies that weren't a bomb. This was not on the original list, but you like gravitated to this one automatically. So what is what are we talking about tonight?
1: Well, I we just had a conversation about action movies and the Hunted came up, and it was just one of those things where it's like, I saw that movie in the theater and I haven't seen it since. And I looked at the reviews and it was reviewed terribly. Uh, it it's six out of 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. So um, I was like, really? Is it that bad? I don't remember it being that bad. Um, funny thing though, when I went back and watched it, I thought the whole film took place like in the woods and the forest and stuff. And that is not the case. No. So I. Remembered, I remembered nothing past the first 30 minutes, apparently. so oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it in the theater in '03 and haven't seen it since. And probably haven't really thought about it since we kind of brought it up. Um, I don't really know how we even brought it up.
0: I don't know. Just, I, I think we were just going through... Um, just a list of action films, and this one snuck on there. And and this isn't to be confused because the other film that kind of – when we talked about The Hunted, um, my initial reaction was, oh, the, the Tommy Lee Jones one or the Christopher Lambert uh, fighting like uh, Japanese ninjas with a samurai hunted. So...
1: Which we might get around to that one. Yeah. When I saw the trailer on that one. <laughs> That one looks insane.
0: Yes, and I I remember liking that one. Um, it bombed as well. Uh, but it hasn't been cast.
1: Problematic too. I'm guessing there's some problematic stuff in that movie. Just the
0: oh come on, it's it from that time period. I think everything was pretty problematic. Yeah. Um, but th- this one's interesting because um, you picked it. I, I like you saw it in the theater in 2003. Um, it's a special place. Uh, uh it has a special place for me, and we'll talk about it here a little bit later um but it is directed um by what i think some people would consider um one of the greatest american directors right william freakin new so,
1: hollywood director yeah
0: when i say william freakin what immediately comes to mind the exorcist right so green pea soup right um but then also you know i think when when william freakin discussion comes up it's always the exorcist of the french connection so doing those two live films, and die in la i i i think it's in the conversation but I think Freakin will always go down for that's the director of The French Connection and The Exorcist. Um,
1: Which good on you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I if mean, those are the it, only two films you're known for, good job. Yeah, and he's he's got an interesting. Because it ain't going to be Sorcerer. <laughs>
0: uh, well, more about that one later. Um, because we we've actually had some people uh, put in a couple of recommendations for other bombs we should talk about, and Sorcerer came up. Mm. So we're gonna have to add that one to the list, uh, because if you do a little bit of research, um, that was an interesting film for Freakin from a professional standpoint, and obviously it's a remake of a film that we actually reviewed, uh, what nine ten years ago on uh, The Pretension, which is uh, Wages of Fear.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So Sorcerer's a, a remake of that. So we we may have to we may have to come back to Freakin. He's he's got a really interesting filmography. Um, and when I was looking at what he was doing about this time, so the movie that he did right before the hunted, he actually did two uh, thousands rules of engagement, um, which also had Tommy Lee Jones in it. Um, then he did the hunted in 2003 and after that he did bug. Um, Ooh,
1: that's <laughs> which, a weird movie.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I think what I've always loved about William freaking, is if you go back through his filmography, I mean, he's done some TV movies. I think I think he did like a TV film for Twelve Angry Men, etc. Uh, he's done some TV episodes. Um, but you you talk about live and die in L.A. I mean, he his choice of films that he decides to do are always interesting. Um, and The Hunted really feels like he is concentrating on a very specific element of the action film, i.e. the chase, right? Yes. So. Um, and luckily for us, I think this movie comes in at um, what is it, 94 minutes?
1: 94 minutes. Yeah, so, so that breaks, by, by your you definition,
0: know, that makes it a good film because greater than
1: 88. Yeah, less than
0: 88, we would have been in trouble. Mm. Um, so when this thing came out, what happened to it, Brad?
1: Uh, pretty much came and went. Um, box office wise, so it's got a 55 million dollar budget, and I'm guessing that's probably on the two main actors mostly.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, it, it a lot of location shooting, too. Yes, yes. And if yes. you watch the behind-the-scenes stuff... Um,
1: Helicopter shots, too,
0: oh, are yeah. expensive. They're, it actually looked like a very large production.
1: Um, but, sadly, it only made about $45 million, so it, it lost money. Um, and like I said earlier, it reviewed quite poorly. Um, most critics um, really disliked the plot of the movie... Um, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our boy, uh, Roger Ebert Love actually it. really loved it. Yes. Um, kind of praised it for being more lean. Um, I, so there's really two camps of reviewers when it comes to this. You like the lean kind of, um, lean plot, but like the action or you think there's like a half an hour missing out of this movie, um, mm-hmm. uh, because there's some stuff that just doesn't seem to fit. Um, and I don't know, I, I didn't watch the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if you can shed any light, but is there a bunch of maybe stuff left on the cutting room floor?
0: There are, I mean, there's a lot of deleted scenes. Um, when, when we were talking about this film, uh, I had the DVD cause I bought it when it came out. This hasn't gotten a Blu-ray release over in the U S and to try and find the DVD now is actually kind of hard to do. It's pretty expensive. It's going for like 35, 40 bucks. Um, but there, there are a lot of deleted scenes and, um, there, there are things, uh, as an example, there's an entire sequence that gives a little bit of backstory, a little bit more character development of the two FBI agents that end up, um, helping Tommy Lee Jones Okay. Um, and the LT Bonham character. Uh, and when you watch the sequence, you go, okay, it's your, it's your standard. Um, here's how they act under pressure. It gives a little bit of, um, I don't know interplay between the the two FBI agents. Um, I think Connie Nielsen, uh, and I can't remember the other actor's uh, name who ends up uh, unfortunately spoiler alert uh, getting oh, off the by one I... Benicio del Toro. Um, okay, but it it doesn't fit. Like you when you watch the deleted scenes, you totally understand, and especially if you kind of listen to some of the um, director commentary, because Friedkin actually has a very good commentary on this. Talking about the make, making the film, the inspiration, and everything else, um, you can definitely tell he was specifically concentrating on Tommy Lee Jones' character, Benicio del Toro, and and was making a chase movie. Um, but it's funny you talk about that Roger Ebert. Leonard Malton was also a huge fan of this film. Yes, he was. Um, and Ebert, I remember reading that review, says that the the thing that he loved about this film is that at a time of action movies coming out in 2003, that was, you know, just relying heavily on CGI. Um, and as we know, some of the special effects in action movies, probably between the late nineties going into 2000, haven't aged. Well,
1: the, uh, the matrix was a blessing and a curse.
0: Yes. Um, but you know, Ebert says that the action, um, choreography, the chase sequence, the stunt work, um, in general sets us apart based on the films that are coming out. Now, when this came out, what what was playing around that time?
1: I found this very interesting. Uh, first off, do you know what happened in March of 2003?
0: Uh, off the top of my head, no. Uh,
1: does the Iraq War sound familiar? The what? The Iraq War. Oh,
0: um, that's a little skirmish we had uh, yeah. across the seas, right?
1: Yep. And you know when that uh, the U.S. and British launched war against Iraq in March... Uh, 19th. This film comes out like six days before that. So, huh? <laughs> I don't know if that's, you know, we always talk about films and being escapism and you have real life war going on and this is about a soldier uh, with PTSD um, going kind of AWOL.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. Maybe. Just, I don't just know. didn't fit. <laughs> didn't fit. So, you will find this very interesting because I know you probably love this movie. At the end of March of 2003, do you know what movie came out?
0: No. Again.
1: Bulletproof Monk.
0: <laughs> giant Yun-Fat. Yes. Um, which, okay, that for, for Roger Ebert commentary right there, that is a great example of taking, um, what's his name, Sean Scott Thomas Williams. Sean William Scott. That guy.
1: <laughs> American yes. Pie Guy.
0: Stifler. Putting in with Chai Fat, and all the action choreography is very much wire-foo laced with special effects all over the place.
1: Oof. So it's not good.
0: Uh, I haven't seen that movie in oh,
1: forever. I like it because of Chai Fat,
0: but I, I would not sit here and tell anybody it's a good film.
1: Okay. Um, so at the beginning of the month, we have 21 Grams. Um, bringing Down the House, which I remember that film actually being pretty big. Um, Wait.
0: Um, was was. Bringing Queen down La- the house.
1: Queen Latifah. Oh, okay, and, okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Tears he says of
0: 21, 21 grams. That was a Benicio del Toro film too.
1: Yes, it was. Okay. Um, Tears of the Sun. Bruce Willis. Yes. Uh, then you have Johnny English.
0: Which actually, uh, you know, the the thing about the Johnny English movies, they make so much money internationally they're international like yes <laughs> international <laughs> why they, they made like a billion dollars or something it's ridiculous uh
1: the american response to uh johnny english is agent cody banks released <laughs> on the same day of course um view from the top okay um dream catcher <laughs>
0: <laughs> stephen king the yeah the really goofy yeah. horror film? okay yes
1: All um right. What a girl wants the um
0: Mel Mel, Mel Gibson? No, that's no.
1: what women want. Oh. What a girl okay. wants is the um oh, uh Amanda Bynes uh, Colin oh. Firth movie.
0: Yeah, ne- never never seen it.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> um The Core comes out that month. Okay. Which um is a Disaster terrible film. Terrible movie and then Head of State with Chris Rock. Okay. Not a great month. To be no. honest with you.
0: Well, March is, I, I mean, in it's... at this time period in 2003, January to March was the dumping ground. April starts to, you know, some stuff comes out, and May is used to be the beginning of the summer movie, you know, season. Now, yeah. it it really is March that kind of kicks all that stuff out. But back then, that list of films you just read off yeah. is exactly what would come out in March.
1: Yeah, it's like you said, dumping ground.
0: Yeah. Um that that's interesting i mean in so this film has tommy lee jones benicio del toro uh th- those are really the two main stars there's um connie nielsen leslie Stephenson play some uh you know connie nielsen's abby i think the fbi um the i would say the fbi agent that has the most screen time out of the other two uh, as well as um Leslie Stamfenson plays Irene Kravitz, who's Benicio Del Toro's girlfriend. Girlfriend? Yeah. yeah. It's a weird weird kind of relationship. Um, but outside of that, I mean, the screen belongs to Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro. Um, and and again, I think for Benicio Del Toro, leading up to this, he did The Way of the Gun in 2000, which I love that film. I don't know if you've seen that.
1: I have not seen that.
0: Really good. Does Traffic, The play Love pledge. Traffic. Um, the hunted in 2003, 21 grams in 2003, so it looks like they came out the same month. And then follows, you know, that up with Sin City in 2005. Um, what, what's Benicio del Toro? I mean, from from a movie standpoint, what's the one film you always go to um, in terms of referencing for Benicio del Toro? I have one that. Traffic. Traffic. I, yes. For me, it's Usual Suspects.
1: Oh yeah. Well. I,
0: to me, that's when I kind of discovered him, only to find out that he he was in a James Bond film before. I mean, he's he's been in the background in a lot of films, but um, I didn't know Benicio del Toro till Usual Suspects. Yeah,
1: I, to me, I just think that Traffic holds up better than Usual Suspects, especially now. Challenge. Because you have the butt Kevin Spacey kind of thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, you gotta look yeah, past I that. I know. You gotta look but past that.
1: But <laughs> I, I just think I I like Traffic better than Usual Suspects. So that's just I, that no, might I, just yeah. be me.
0: I love Traffic, but I love Usual Suspects, too. Tommy Lee Jones was putting out some very interesting work around this time period. So he works with Freakin in 2000 on Rules of Engagement. Also does Space Cowboys, so Clint Eastwood, right?
1: Yeah, that's not um,
0: a bad movie, I don't think. No, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Um, then does Men in Black 2, 2002.
1: Actually, you know what? You you missed a movie. You missed uh, U.S. Marshals, which I think is a pretty apt comparison to this movie.
0: Oh, was so that Chase was movie? that 99 or 2000?
1: That was uh, 98.
0: Oh, 98. Yes. So he And then did.
1: he does then he does Double Jeopardy, which <laughs> <Is that laughs>
0: Ashley actually was in. Yes. yes. Well, he does The Hunted and then the same year he comes out with The Missing. Um which I hear is very underrated. It's one that I have not seen yet and I I do want to catch that one. Um 2005 does Man of the House, uh which is a comedy.
1: This is um, my happy face. I remember that from the trailer.
0: Yes. And then um, 2005, I don't know if you've seen The Three Burials El of Malkita Estrada. No. Is that how you say that? No. Amazing film. It's really? so good. Yes. Okay. But what's, what's weird is, like, Tommy Lee Jones, if you look at his filmography, it is starting to become very clear. And I would have never pegged him as this because of um, maybe his choice of films. And I, I remember him in things like Coal Miner's Daughter with Sissy Spacek, which he is fantastic in. Um, and obviously, you know, Tommy Lee Jones has has starred in some very heavy dramas, but, uh, I mean, No Country for Old Men, right? One of my favorite performances. But you go back and look at his filmography, and especially The Hunted, the guy is kind of an action star. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: the, the Fugitive.
0: Yeah, The Package, uh, Black Moon Rising. Um, which is under you know, siege. Yeah. Uh, oh, under siege. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I just didn't realize how uh, I would say Tommy Lee Jones just had his foot clearly within the action genre, just up and down the board. Um, and I don't know. He he just he adds this um gravitas or or just re- realism to these roles that I think anybody else and and The Hunted's no exception. There are some things that are a little bit far fetched. Uh, but man, you get Tommy Lee Jones in a character. He sells it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also forget like men in black and, um, you know, all the sequels there. And yeah. so he's, he's doing big films as well. Um, he's also in the first Avenger with captain America.
0: Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, he's got you know, a he, Marvel he's, credit.
1: Yeah. He's getting that residual from Marvel. So, and let's not forget the coup de grace, Batman forever.
0: Oh, Two-Face, of course. <laughs> yes, well, we're gonna, not going to talk about that. <laughs> so um, a couple of other behind-the-scenes. The, the big draw when you talk about um, this film, a lot of people gravitate to the knife fighting in it, right? So it very much is, um, you brought up Under Siege, Tommy Lee Jones. So he he faces off against Steven Seagal at the end, and there's this, this fantastic knife fight. And you almost feel like William Friedkin and maybe the writers saw this film, turn around and said, ooh, let's t- turn that into like a 90-minute film of Tommy Lee Jones, you know, knife fighting everybody. Um, but what's interesting is they did um, bring some experts, some Kali-style Filipino martial arts in. Um, I, I think it's Thomas Kier and Rafael Kayanan um, to do the choreography and teach both Benicio Del Toro and Tommy Lee Jones um, the fight choreography. And I got I got to say, it's... They, do, they handle themselves so well. There's just this very realistic showdown that happens in a couple of places. There's two major scenes where the knife fighting is, is center stage, and it's slick, it's realistic, and I got to tell you, I mean, you would think Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro, this is their hobby, um, but this movie's kind of known for that. Yeah, um,
1: the close-quarter combat, though, isn't as bombastic as... like. Obviously it's, it's very close quarter. It's very personal and it's, it's just different than like a normal fight scene.
0: Yeah. So it's I very think gritty people yeah, are, people are breathing heavy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you know, obviously it's really close and there's not a whole lot of for the characters to breathe. So it's a different kind of action. I, I would say it's, um, huh, how do you it's, say it's just, it's just different yeah it's
0: it's it's very down to earth it's gritty people are sweating they're dirty they're um it's very sloppy it's it's not the grace of maybe a hong kong action film that just has that sharp choreography to it it's a lot of grabs (laughs) yeah it is i mean it's um a little bit of mma but i mean when when people are getting cut they get cut right um and uh it it's very fast like i said it's very different I, i think as you're talking about it it's In 2003, all the action films that are coming out, this sets itself apart. So if anybody's an action junkie, they come across The Hunted, and there are two scenes that they're going to remember that kind of revolve um, around the knife fighting, the one big climax on the uh, edge of the waterfall. Um, But this is the other thing. So it, it seems like with every film, Uh, I end up going down a rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I texted you at the beginning of the, of the week and I'm, I'm like, do you, do you know anything about Tom Brown Jr.?
1: Uh, Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, Troy has gone (laughs) down some rabbit hole and I don't even know how to get him out of it. So I'm just going to let him go. So please enlighten me.
0: Okay, Tom Brown Jr. So the way the story goes, um, and William Friedkin talks about this in the commentary too. William Friedkin meets this survivalist, uh, Tom Brown Jr., and he's kind of well-known for helping out um, uh, police track people. So he hunts people, hunts animals. Um, the way the story goes is he trains Delta Force, you know, special forces, was contracted to the army, which, side note. When you're a kid and you hear that the government, like, hired some guy to teach whoever and blah, 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 you're like, oh, my God, that guy must be a badass. But as you get older um, and you live in the Baltimore, D.C. area and you see some of the contractors (laughs) that the government hires, you realize that um, having that distinction doesn't mean shit. (laughs) So um, not not that all people that the government contracts out are, you know, I'm just saying – the uh it the star isn't as bright when you start to do a little digging. So I'm I'm gonna put that out there. Great.
1: Now the government's coming for us.
0: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um but Tom Brown, so William Freakin meets him, uh thinks he's a pretty fascinating guy. Um and the way William Freakin, you know, talks about him is, well here's a guy that you know, he, he can look at a room and know who's been in the room and kind of look at a footprint and know what that guy ate today or, you know, what mood he was in and, you know, what size of belt he has and all this other stuff. And, um, just real mystic and nobody can do this. Uh, and, and so I, I'm like, okay. And they take this script, um, that was written by these three gentlemen and William Freakin says, well, I, I like this idea, this script, this chase, right? but i want to i want to kind of um, take the tommy lee jones character and model it off of tom brown junior and so freakin takes this chase action sequence script and the element he adds in there he's like i'm fascinated with tom brown junior because here's a guy who goes out and trains the special forces and trains all these people how to kill but tom brown himself has never had to kill anybody or you know so the story goes so william freakin says well, let's hire him as a technical advisor for the film And um, he's going to, you know, teach Benicio and all the people, Tommy Lee Jones, how to do the tracking for realism and uh, also some of the knife fighting. But then they bring in, you know, the other two for the actual um, Kali style Filipino martial arts. But let's talk about Tom Brown Jr. because this is where the rabbit hole went. So I'm I'm looking up Tom Brown Jr. and so in his books, he has tons of books, right? They range from what they consider biography two stories, and um, here's where it gets interesting that you don't know if it's fiction, nonfiction. Um, He runs a camp, sort of a survivalist camp. Um, I think that camp has been on, uh, what is the Penn and Teller show that they do? The BS show?
1: BS, yeah, or something like that. Something like that. So
0: Tom Brown has been on under the microscope of of Penn and Teller, too. Um, But how Tom Brown got his start is apparently he and his childhood friend, Rick were trained in tracking and wilderness survival by Rick's grandfather, Stalking Wolf, who Brown claims was a lipan Apache. I hope I'm saying that right. But the funny thing is, there's no evidence that Stalking Wolf ever existed, right? So this is Tom Brown talking about how he came to these skills. Um, And Brown writes that Stalking Wolf died when Brown was 17, and that Rick was killed in a motorcycle riding accident in Europe shortly after. Okay, so... These convenient. people aren't around to verify, etc. So Brown goes around working, and I'm getting a lot of this stuff from online articles, Wikipedia. So again, I'm going to the Tom Brown website. I'm trying to read all this stuff, uh, rabbit hole, right? <laughs> so what I find interesting is he's he's doing all these uh, odd jobs when he learns his tracking from you know this uh, Apache, and um, is kind of putting himself out there as this. Hey, let me help you track things, track people, track, um, you know, goats, animals, whatever bunnies. So he, and he's doing this all in New Jersey. So he sets out to find other people in New Jersey who are interested in experiences, doesn't really get much success, but then he gets asked to help locate a local crime suspect. So, um, as the story goes, apparently, um, he, (laughs) they track the guy and, um, all of a sudden he gets some publicity as a result of helping the police track this person. And then everybody starts to hire him for all these other things. I don't know if it's a couple of years later or whatnot, but then somebody comes back and sues the police and Tom Brown because apparently the guy they tracked wrong guy. Um, so he gets sued. Police get sued, but he ends up being a technical advisor for the film. William Freakin, you know, meets him and, um, There's a Sports Illustrated article on it that was published about the same time that this film was coming out. And so Tom Brown says, hey, he has a love-hate relationship with the hunted and at times predictable over-the-top action movie in which Jones' character hunts down a fugitive played by Benicio Del Toro. And he says the plot is loosely based on an incident in Brown's life in which he hunted down a former student, a case he won't talk about publicly because the mission, he says, is still classified. So as this movie's coming out, Tom Brown's is like, yeah, it's kind of based on me. And as a matter of fact, it's an incident that I actually went through and shared all this. Um, and he actually has a book come out called The Case Files of the Track the Tracker. Uh, let me make sure. Case Files of the Tracker, True Stories from America's Greatest Outdoorsman. So Tom <laughs> Brown published his book, right? Guess what year it's published?
1: I'm going to say 2003. 2003,
0: yeah. Miraculously the same time that this movie comes out that he just got done working as a technical advisor. He has a chapter in there, chapter two, and it's called my Frankenstein. And it describes Brown's tracking and fight with a formal special operations veteran. Right. Um, and the Philadelphia Inquirer even looked into this, um, in 2003. And, you know, here's something from that article in the same book. Brown says he captured a rogue military operative. He had trained details, including locales had been left vague. Brown says it's due to the sensitive nature of the case. So the events described in the book are similar to those of the 2003 film, The Hunted, on which Brown served as a technical advisor, Tommy Lee Jones, who played an FBI tracker um, on the prowl for a trained assassin. Now, Dick Marcinko, who led the Navy SEAL's original SEAL Team 6, sent some of his special ops forces to Brown's school in the early 1980s, when, Brown says, the case occurred. He was impressed by the results. So from a tracking, wildlife, all of that stuff, they're impressed, Marcinko says. But the idea that Brown was sent alone and unarmed to rein in the operative is stretching a little far, he says. And then Berkeley Books, Brown's publisher, when the Philadelphia Inquirer was you know, poking around on this, um, didn't make any comment. And huh. it, I guess it's known that Tom Brown uh, uses a lot of ghostwriters, too. So this film is apparently now mind you this was an original script that three gentlemen wrote William freaking knows Tom Brown and says you know I'm going to take your character base you know I'm going to integrate your character into the story but the story is actually an original screenplay and then in 2003 Tom Brown comes back and says oh yeah chapter two my Frankenstein hmm. I, I happen to fight you know and track down a special forces operative too hmm yeah so, hmm. and you can you can see all the Tom Brown videos on YouTube. I watched a few of them.
1: Yeah, I um I started and then I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's weird. It, I'm not I'm not saying it's like Scientologist or anything, but is that a word, Scientology? Sure. <laughs> okay. But um you watch you watch all the the behind the scenes features for this film and you hear freaking talk about this guy. And, um, you know, everybody just seems to be so impressed by him, but you, you watch these YouTube videos and some of them are, are pretty interesting. You know, he has his own knife that is fashioned off of the knife used in this movie too. Um, and he seems to be an interesting character, but I, I can't, uh, these stories that come out of all the stuff that he did, I just, and I find it kind of coincidental that he works on a film and then publishes a, a book and says, Oh yeah, I did that. Oh, you think? Yeah, yeah, just just weird. But yeah. um yeah, you you can learn all about Tom Brown by <laughs> getting the DVD and he's actually got a feature on there and I think it's called um Tracking the Hunted and you get to see Tom Brown on set, you know, guiding Tommy Lee Jones on how to look at twigs and stuff like that.
1: I really want to talk about this movie, so okay, <laughs> well, let's talk about this movie. Okay.
0: Um your pick, you brought it up. Yeah. Let's
1: get into it. Um, So this movie is... I would say... Have you seen The Fugitive? And have you seen Rambo? But that darn plot gets in the way too much? Then this is a <laughs> movie for you. Would you disagree?
0: Um, That is one of the questions I have. Because one of the writers went on to write Rambo, the 2008 version.
1: Oh, wow. um,
0: So... Is it a Rambo ripoff? I mean, I I would throw in there like, hey, did you like did you like that knife fight in Under Siege? Well, take that and throw the Fugitive in, and you get a fugitive version with knife fights.
1: Yeah, I just okay. So the PTSD stuff I find a little bit um, undercooked. Um, I know he saw some stuff in Kosovo, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character saw some stuff in Kosovo that really kind of messed with him. Mm -hmm. But when he comes back, it's just like, there's really nothing that like sets him off, really. It's just that he just kind of starts to decide to start murdering people, um, hunters. And I really never understood if, you know, something reminded him of those incidents he just kind of has these little flashbacks but to me i don't know if that's how ptsd works i think there's like usually like an inciting incidents and people have a hard time i just it everything in this movie just seems to be way undercooked um to really kind of make a cohesive movie um the girlfriend and the daughter character mm-hmm. show up 45 minutes into the movie and you're just like okay and then they're gone and i know that he's just kind of passing through but again you have no idea who these people are at first i thought it was his wife it's not it's his girlfriend and then you're like is that his daughter because she knows his name like i don't know i just there's so many questions i have with everything in the periphery of this movie outside of Hey, Benicio del Toro's character was once a student for Tommy Lee Jones, and he's kind of the only one that knows how to track him. But I don't find the tracking stuff all that great either, because it's usually like, oh, there's some footprints. I'm just gonna go that way. I mean,
0: it's movie it's movie tracking.
1: Yeah, it's really dumbed down tracking. Like,
0: oh, there's blood. He went yeah, this way.
1: Yeah, so what are the you're introduced to Tommy Lee Jones's character in the snow and he's tracking a wolf of some kind literally the Which wolf is Tom bleeding Brown said he did the wolf is bleeding yes. and uh makes it pretty easy to track I think yep. I might be able to do that and so it's not really even that impressive
0: um I would say that this film makes you fill in the blanks it is it that my
1: job for a movie though
0: well, so the question comes that is it uh, – so some films, you're either going to, going to be overly descriptive. So we've seen the movies where somebody comes out, tells you the whole plot. Somebody comes out, tells you the whole backstory of somebody, right? Somebody comes out and um, just through narration, dialogue whatsoever, they're going to tell you what this person is feeling, where this person came from, what you should be thinking about this person. Um, that's how you get, uh, I would say from point A to point B in a script. You have other movies in a, la- in a lazy script. Yes. And, and in a very lazy script, but I mean, let's, let's face it. A lot of scripts are pretty lazy. Let's say 80% of them. That's how they're going to describe their plot. We've already talked about some movies that, you know, um, will come out and go, uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you the plot via narration. I mean, you know, Remo Williams, the computer tells you everything that's going on, right? Then you have these other films that they're going to try and describe the character, and they're going to take the action of the character, and then you as a viewer are supposed to determine based on the scenario, based on what the character is doing, and... Um, can you figure out if this person's a good guy or a bad guy or what the intentions are or something. However, I think in order to make those scenes successful, you have to have an action or you have to have a scene that doesn't, it's not obvious. It doesn't like smack you in the face. And I'll give you an example of this one where it doesn't work in here. Um, you talked about the scene where he goes and visits his girlfriend and the daughter. And you've got the scene where Benicio's out there in the yard with her and, you know, Oh, you see his gentle side where he's talking about the squirrel, and you track it this way, and who's that? Oh, there's the cat. and it, It's supposed to illustrate that there is a softer side to this guy, um, but it feels very clunky.
1: That's one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but you said
0: that he is suffering from PTSD, and he randomly kills two hunters. I don't think it's supposed to play out that way. Um, Because if you pay attention to the beginning of the film, um, there is the possibility that those are not two hunters, that those are two people from the government who are sweepers um, because they make comments about the rifles, the scopes on the rifle. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, And the question is established early on, um, are these men hunting Benicio del Toro, or did they just stumble across Benicio del Toro, and Benicio del Toro has PTSD and just kills him because he's a extreme animal activist?
1: Well, yeah, because and that, that part confused me as well because there's the whole... The FBI won't let him be taken to be seen because technically he doesn't exist, really. Well, and, and
0: the last thing that he did... Is um, there, there's the exchange between uh, the government agent and Benicio when they're talking uh, in in the van and you know they're about ready to just kill him, um, painlessly. They're saying, Hey, that last job you did, and they show the newspaper clipping. You didn't just kill the guy, you killed his entire family. Benicio's like, That wasn't his family. They were all armed, and I think they make the comment, Oh, in your condition, you can't make a distinction between the shark and the guppies. And he's like, I don't care what you tell me. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. Um, and you get a sense as a result of that mission, he's trying to escape. Like he's trying to stay alive because they've looked at that incident and said, oh, Benicio can't handle it anymore. So therefore we got to put him down. Right. So, yeah. and I feel like that it isn't so much about PTSD. Like you can come into the hunted and I think on a surface level, and I think Freakin talks about this as well in the commentary, they leave it a little open and vague. Well, Freakin says he leaves it open and vague so you can determine, hey, did did this character of Aaron Hollum go nuts, start killing hunters? Or is he actually trying to survive and the government is trying to kill him? But then he turns around and he says, well, Tommy Lee Jones, obviously look at these pictures and knows, Oh yeah, these are two sweepers, and they're they're out to you know capture Hallam and and Tommy Lee Jones knows from the get go what is going on, which is an operative is loose. That's why he bursts into you know the um, police station when Aaron starts you know yeah I want to talk about you know this project this project Tommy Lee Jones comes like well, you can't talk about that. Uh, they're gonna erase it. Nobody's gonna hear about it. Yeah. But I think that this movie works so much better if you just say, okay, if Freakin's gonna tell you, well, it's up to you how you interpret this. Well, I'm gonna interpret this as um, Aaron Hollum is on the run for a botched job, and the people that he has killed so far, because they talk about four people, the two hunters and two before that, is a result of people trying to hunt him down.
1: I mean, he can also have he can also have PTSD and like they find him a liability that way too. Yes. So it can, and, and I, can be I both. Think P,
0: yeah. I think PTSD is a part of it, but I don't think it's, um, I don't think, and I'll, I'll agree with you that the script and even the direction should have been a little bit more tighter with the motivation of Aaron's character by just coming right out and saying he has PTSD. He did botch up a job, um, but he's not out there randomly killing people. He's trying to survive.
1: Because yeah, um, he's ultimately so unlikable if, if he's just killing I mean, I, I don't. I'm not big on hunters either, but I'm not going to go out and kill people.
0: Oh, I, mean. I agree, and I and I think I think they do a very good. I I don't think this is like a cardboard. As as much as the critics who fall on the side of they don't like this film say it's simplistic plot, etc. I'll say this. I actually think the Tommy Lee Jones character, and Benicio del Toro, they take what could have been cardboard characters. Um, and they try to add some depth there and I I think it's there. I don't think like my question for you that I wrote down when I saw this is, um, is Tommy Lee Jones the good guy?
1: Wow. I didn't really think about that because you would just assume that he is because he's working on the side of the good guys, but.
0: But it, but it starts. I mean, the the thing I I mentioned a little. Well, earlier yeah, because he that does with, that
1: thing to that guy in the in the cabin there. Well, it's not uh, even that.
0: It's it's the it's the voiceover of Johnny Cash. So he's doing a, a Bob Dylan. He's speaking a song from a Bob Dylan song, I think Highway 61, and it's the parable of God. Um, Abraham. Yeah, telling Abraham you have to you have to sacrifice a son. Um, which side note, I mean Johnny Cash died this year, September 2003. Oh,
1: that's right. Um,
0: yeah, so it was sort of his last film role. Uh, my dad was a huge Johnny Cash fan. Same so here. I remember, Same I remember here. seeing this film with him and, um, you know, uh, he, he, he fell in love with this film just when you, as soon as you hear Johnny Cash, boom. And the man but,
1: comes around is the uh, the credit song.
0: Yeah, which is which is fantastic. I mean, we, we could probably do a whole podcast on just Johnny Cash because uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of him,
1: honestly.
0: Yeah. I would, yeah. Um, but there, there is that statement, and it is the parable of Abraham being asked by God to kill his son. And there's a, re- a father-son relationship that develops between um, Hallam and um, Lt. That basically, you know, the first time that they meet, Hallam is trying to shake his hands, and Lt. is, you know, knocking him away and says, well, don't you remember me? He says, no, I don't. And then by the end of the film, because he's telling him, I wrote you these letters, I'm trying to connect, I can't handle this anymore, yeah is like... By the end of the film, you find out he kept all those letters, and it was tearing him up inside. But this film,
1: so on the on the handshake thing, yeah. The second time they meet at the waterfall, does Lt try to shake his hand at the very end, and I thought he tried, and then um, Benicio del Toro's character then slaps it away. So it's like at the end he's trying to make make amends, and it's not he's not having it. Benicio del Toro's not.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think there's it's an interesting play between those two. I mean, Freakin <laughs> takes a gamble here and says, I'm going to I'm gonna pare this thing down. He obviously took a I gamble. I just would have because... loved
1: it to have been a little bit, not spoken, but just play, a little bit more developed. I knew that they were going for that father-son dynamic. I just felt like it was just kind of half-baked. And I was, I I'm not going to say it's... it's not earned. It's definitely sure. earned, but it... It, it definitely, they didn't get far with it. Not far enough for me. Um, well, I,
0: I think they missed, they had a misstep in the beginning by trying to, I mean, there's a sequence just um, when they're hunting Benicio and all of a sudden you see an animal in the woods, right? Like a, a huge buck. And so they're, they're trying to go, well, is Benicio really crazy or, you know, um, has his character Aaron, you know, is he just trying to survive because these are two government and, Freakin's very upfront by saying, well, I'm going to let the audience, you know, decide. To your point, you should have just picked something and that set it off because through the rest of the film, you're obviously playing in that camp. I mean, I think if you take all of the scenes in the film, this is clearly um, Aaron Hallam did a job for the government. Um, He thinks he executed it correctly, but because it made the front page, the government goes, well, that's a liability. He does have PTSD, so therefore we got to kill him. And this guy's been on the run. And since the government can't do that, then what do they do? They go to the guy that made him his father figure and says, okay, you've got to go kill your son, more or less. I mean, that that's the, the metaphor yeah. of the film and yeah. the allegory they're pulling into, which then that's why I wrote the, the, the question. I mean, if you want to talk about why I like this film so much, it's the fact that You walk into this and Tommy Lee Jones is supposed to be the good guy. I don't think he is. Um, I don't think there's so much a good guy. I think there's a guy who's been sent to do something um, to correct or... (laughs) Take that wolf sequence. I mean, he's trying to save the wolf, ends up saving it. I do think he's trying to save Aaron up until the very end and then ends up having to kill him. But that's his, his... final act or final choice he doesn't But it's not like
1: to. Aaron doesn't kill cops.
0: Oh yeah, no Aaron, but at that point you you believe that character again. I don't I think he goes from sort of black to gray because if you look at it from the lens that this guy is just totally trying to survive, then I think his actions are justifiable and I I don't think Tommy Jones is exactly the good guy. I don't think Aaron Hallam's a good guy either, but at the same time I almost think like well is Aaron Hallam kind of the hero because he's just trying to
1: survive. I mean, yeah, this isn't the Star Wars universe, so it's not, everything's not Jedi's versus so, right, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot to be gray and I get it and I I just will say that I, 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 I don't know, I have a hard time with this movie because I, I think Tommy Lee Jones and I think Benicio Del Toro are the best parts of this movie and they obviously are, they should be because they're... of the movie I just wish they would have committed to one side or the other because I feel like both plot lines are somewhat feasible but underdeveloped and it's frustrating as a viewer to not really I won't say understand because the plot's not that hard to understand the big plot right I just I, I I don't know it this movie is frustrating to me on the fact that I want to enjoy it and I want to like it, but at every possible turn, it just feels like someone just didn't want to make a decision on what are we going to do, what is this character about. Um, and, and then um, even at the end, like you find out that Tommy Lee Jones has the letters that Aaron sent him. And he like, they're open and stuff, but does he read them or does he just throw them away? Or does he just, I think, I think the, so
0: the, the fascinating thing, like I said, William Freakin meets this guy, um, in real life, uh, Tom Brown and, you know, forget the whole myth of Tom Brown, whether or not he's, let's just take everything at face value. Tom Brown is this amazing guy, trains all these people to kill people all over the world and, and, uh, is, is the best tracker. So he takes a chase script and he says, Freakin says, I'm really fascinated with this concept that here's a guy. Um, And even in the flashback sequences, they talk about how methodical like Tommy Lee Jones is with the knife and the weaponry and all these guys he's teaching. And Tommy Lee Jones says, you know, I I don't want to go back to this. He's feeling guilt for all the things that he created. Um, And this character supposedly is somebody out there that trains all of these people to kill and take life, but he's never done it. I mean, if you follow that character arc, Tommy Lee Jones, by the end of this movie, took a life. So he's trained to do it. He's been you know, training people for years. He got out of that because of the guilt. And I think the letters kind of um, make this a bit of a sad ending because he's basically saying, OK, I kept these letters. He had no answer for Aaron. I think that's why he never responded, because he's looking at this going, I, I don't know. And then the only answer he has for his son, um, who's reaching out to him going, I'm struggling with these things that I've done. And Tommy Lee Jones says, well, the only, the only solace or, or the only comfort I can give you is to actually just take you out of this world. And he kills him. And so when he's looking at those letters and he goes, he burns him because now he's left with that guilt that just said, I never had an answer outside of just taking his life. At least. That's what I get out of that. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones no, that's and I, that's
1: yeah. I I see all your lines of thought there. Um, I will say this. I wish the chase, um, kind of lived up to the first kind of interaction and the last interaction. Um, uh, there's a little spot where there's kind of some urban chases that
0: the car ex- chase was.
1: Yeah, I just, I, mm. it's a, here's a again, guy who did the French
0: he, connection to live yeah. in LA, starts a car chase and goes right into a traffic jam.
1: Yeah. It's I like, thought that was weird. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, you know, for a chase movie, again, they're tracking, so it's a little bit slower pace and they're on foot a lot. Um, again, this is before like Casino Royale and a lot of parkour and all that stuff. Sure. Yep. So it's not as exciting. Um. And again, a lot of the tracking is, oh, there's some footsteps in the grass. I'm going to go that way. Um, Oh, I'm going to turn my head, and he's going to be running up the stairs the other way. It's just, I don't know. It's just really not exciting to see tracking done this way when it just seems like any average Joe could do it. Like, I was never impressed by any of the tracking.
0: I agree with you. I mean, I I would think if you're talking about it from a technical standpoint, you know, they bring in a couple of guys behind the scenes and they say, well, here's a guy. He's the world-renowned tracker. He's adding the realism to the film. Um, But it's movie tracking. It's the, here a twig is uh, broke. Oh, there's a a little space between this moss. Oh, this big-ass footprint is sitting right there with blood in it. I think the guy went this way. Yeah. So the the guy they bring in for the technical advisement which uh, you know apparently is is what Tommy Lee Jones is copying cuz that's he's he's trying to emulate the real person that doesn't come off as well but then the two guys that come in for the kali knife fighting is just is fantastic it's realistic i mean you it's watch brutal. that it's, it's brutal it's brutal it it's it's gory um you you never want to get cut right um, but the, you know this film has its flaws. I mean, think about when they go over the waterfall. They come out of the water. Next thing you know, they're building knives. One person is you know chipping away flint. And the other yeah, one like, of them's forging fire.
1: in fire and. Fire and...
0: Yep, ten minutes later they got their knives. So yeah. it's ridiculous. But for the time you know, for a movie that's trying to keep that momentum and kinetic motion going for the chase, I understand you have to make that choice to go. Well, it should usually take about a day. And why it's would Tommy in...
1: why would Tommy Lee Jones not have a knife anyway? It's not like he was... Because he doesn't kill.
0: He's, yeah. I mean, that's the whole character. He he doesn't, a carry, tracker, a he doesn't he like carry a knife? No. He doesn't have like a
1: hunter's knife or anything he like that? He works for
0: the World... Uh, what is it? The World... Uh, the
1: Wildlife Federation or whatever? Yeah, the
0: Wildlife Foundation.
1: He didn't, didn't have he a kni- knife
0: for. He's out there saving things, not killing it.
1: Yeah, but you would think he would have some sort of knife. Like even a pocket knife, he didn't have like something...
0: Maybe Tom Brown told him behind the scenes that, you know, he has his Native American, I don't know, hand-to-hand combat. He never needed a knife. <laughs> but think about it, too. What? Why would he carry a knife if, if his intent, always through most of this film, is to capture Aaron and bring him in? He doesn't want to kill him. He never wanted to kill him up until the point that he made the knife. And I think that's when he realized... But obviously,
1: there, Aaron yeah. wants to kill him. He have, doesn't have any sort of qualms about trying to kill him. When he saw him in the forest the first time, he was ready and able to try to take his life.
0: But he didn't kill him. I mean, he, he had the upper hand on him, and he could have just ended him right there, um, even before the dart hit him. I, I don't. I think the whole intent of Tommy Lee Jones' character was he never went after him thinking he was going to kill him. It was to catch him. It wasn't until the end when he's like, all right, I got to... It's... It, it's going to go one way, so I'm going to make this stone knife.
1: Yeah. I I guess my, going into this movie, I just remember this all being chase in the forest. And I was right. looking forward to that. And that's not what this movie is. It's some of that, but that's not all of it. And I think that was like my big hang up for a lot of the movie is I'm thinking, oh, you know, they have this quick interaction at the beginning and... Then all of a sudden he's like knocked out with this dart, and you're like, oh, I didn't remember any of this stuff then. So we, a part of this is on me. I just did not think it was all that great to kind of go through this movie. I I honestly had a hard time kind of finishing this. To are be you honest, are you serious, really? Yeah, it just I didn't find the act. I again the knife fights and stuff is great, and I'll take that. Um, but. Boy, he gets into that that house of his girlfriend, and this movie just pulls up on the emergency brake so hard it <laughs> starts skidding, and you're just like, hmm, okay, this, this is uh, this is not great. This is yeah, really I, really hard, and that is it. Kind of it, it for me, it just never kind of picked up the momentum after that. Once once it's changed settings, um, because I should think, oh. You know the flipped over armored car that should be really cool and all this stuff. It's just like, no. Once it once it turns out of that initial interaction, it kind of never got me back.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm I'm probably in the different camp because I agree with you 100%. As soon as you get um, him interacting with sort of um, I guess the one person that he lived with for a couple of months and kind of gained some attachment to her, her daughter. Oh boy, it just it it just kind of stumbles, stops, and then Benicio and trying to you know <laughs> act all fatherly just looked like uh just a bad high school play. It was horrible.
1: Yeah, it, and for someone of his caliber to not be able to pull it off, it, I think again. So if Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro are not in this movie, it is infinitely worse.
0: I think, oh, when, yeah, when, when they're not either chasing each other, or sharing screen time. Although I think Tommy Lee Jones fares better, you know, uh, excuse me, better when he's interacting with the FBI agent or the scenes on his own. But Benicio on his own, I, I do like the beginning. I, I think it's Kosovo. I mean, that whole um, how they used him because I, I was a little bit fascinated. where – Here's the thing this action film, and I'll use the car chase sequence as, as an example you're expecting as soon as they get into a car he kind of comes out of the garage Tony Lee Jones dodges out of the way they're shooting their guns turns the corner and then all of a sudden he's in a traffic jam you don't expect that and his response to that is well I'm gonna back up bash back up bash and he's trying to get through the traffic in just what is uh, I would say it's the not it's not the most exciting part of the film but it's an interesting choice to kind of go yeah that's kind of what would happen if you were in that area they're in
1: portland right so big major city yeah
0: so that's exactly what's going to happen and he tries to evade that um and i appreciate how it took different locations different um things that would typically happen maybe in the french connection or maybe in to live and die in la or any of the Action films that are coming out that time period and saying, okay, we're going to make a chase scene, but we're going to try and add as much realism as possible within it. Um, and it still works for me. There's that segment. To me, I, I feel like it's – you got this great beginning, comes to a screeching halt in that house. Then as soon as he jumps out the window, it picks up again, and I'm right back in it. Um, and, I, and I really like it up to the end.
1: Yeah, I guess, Scott – I mean, when – when he comes in, when Tommy Lee Jones's character comes in, and they're asking his girlfriend whether they've seen him, and the camera pans pans down, and you see two like muddy footprints, and then like a big like uh, light bulb comes over Tommy Lee Jones's character's <laughs> head, and then it's like, okay, now I'm going to go upstairs. Oh, there's you know shaving, there's uh, you know facial hair clippings on this. Well,
0: hold on, it, maybe she had really hairy legs.
1: Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, uh, but. Anyway, and then homeboy's just hanging out in this room, just waiting for him. Like, really? Like, this is a chase movie, and the dude's sitting in a, literally sitting in like a rocking chair, just waiting for them to well, show I up. Well,
0: I don't. I again, I I think he knows who's in the house. Um, I don't, I don't think up until the end on the ledge. I don't think either of them want to do any harm outside of. Benicio or Aaron Hall's character is trying to live and Tommy Lee Jones is is trying to help him by bringing him in so I I think they both understand that role and it only changes in that last sequence um up on the cliff and like you said I mean as as he he builds his knife both of them build their knives and and they're in in record time in record time (laughs) um and so they're they're going into that confrontation kind of making a final decision that it can only end this way Now, if you – and again, I'll I'll credit William Friedkin for this. If you didn't have that letter scene at the end, I don't think it would work um, because I I think, again, it's asking for the viewer. It's going to say, here are the actions. Here's the environment. Here's the setting. I'm not going to tell you everything, but I'm going to show you what these characters are going through, and I'm going to try and tell the story through their actions. Um, And you have to understand the intent of the characters through that. Some people can look at this and go – Yep. Doesn't work for me. Right. Um, I, I think in watching this, it works for me.
1: Boy, I wish I was on your side. I really do <laughs> because I love both these guys so much. And even we Freakin's like misses, I think, are at least somewhat interesting. I just, again, oh, man, yeah, as I- soon as they get to that house, it is just like, I cannot do this anymore. Um, And I really wanted to, and I really just wanted there to be more knife fighting and more, you know, close quarter. Um, You know, when they're in the city, it's like guns and stuff. And that just isn't what this movie is. And I don't know. I I just think that to me, it just lost its identity pretty quickly. And it just never gotten, never got it back.
0: Well, and I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I, if somebody were to come up and say it to your point expectations, if you're thinking for like, um, a raid style action film or Hong Kong style action film, um, anything that is very visceral kinetic and it's nonstop. Um, and it's going to be flourished. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to think of some other adjectives that describe, you know, it, take Jet Li's kiss of the dragon. i I've, to me that, is one of his best films, I think, um, and it just constantly moves, and the action is super inventive, but it, it's very unrealistic. Even as you know, Jet Li has superpowers, in my opinion, <laughs> for that time period in his he career. He might
1: have in real life.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he can do some amazing <laughs> things, but when you're looking at Tommy Lee Jones, who you know at the time he filmed this was 57. Um, that's the other thing I like about this is, you know, Benicio del Toro's 35, 36, Tommy Lee Jones, 57. I think they got some great casting choices here. Um, and even somebody, you know, Stallone doing a film in this, in this era would have really created something like the expendables, right? Whereas this film is like, well, what is a 57 year old and what skills is he going to have and what's he going to look like and how painful is it for him to go through this? I love that aspect of it. Um, But if you're looking for an action film that is going to hit all of your expectations in a um, very stylized um, popcorn action movie, this is not the one. Now, if you're okay walking in and saying, yeah, I want some good action, but I actually want the director and even the screenwriter to attempt a little bit of realism in it and put some things in there that may play out between a 57 year old and 36 year old (laughs) as it's going. Um, and don't mind like them playing with conventions a little bit. Like I said, I'd point to that car chase. I don't mean to sound like a broken record. Um, most films would have just come up with something much more elaborate versus boom, you're right in a traffic jam. Right. Um, and even the hand to hand combat, it's messy. It's super messy. I mean, they're, they're kind of falling on top of each other at times. And, um, I like that because that's, to me, that's how it happens, right? I um, mean if you've ever been in a brawl, that's exactly how it happens. <laughs> um but I, I I I love that aspect of the film. I, I love something different and I think the hunted is different. I, I think Freakin is making a lean ninety four minute action film. The only criticism I don't think is valid. So you you can come back and go, Well, I was expecting this, didn't get it, didn't like it. Cool. I, I get that, right? Yeah. The only criticism I don't think is valid is um, I think Rolling Stone and some others at the time came out and said, oh, this is Rambo ripoff or Rambo light.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't I don't get that at all. And I don't agree with that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah Ra- well, Rambo Rambo is a little bit more
0: polished than this film, in my opinion. Yeah, and... this is a
1: gritty, a much more gritty movie than I would say, like, Rambo still like, you know, gory and. You know, there's a lot of action, but this is got this, some real grit to it, some real edge. Um, it's like a knife, like you know, it, it's in your oh, face you because yeah. it's like that's what they do. They're in your face, um, close quarter. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, I, I think Rambo is about Rambo. In yeah. This film, this film is about a father-son relationship where the father. Is asked to go kill his son. It says it right in the front.
1: Yeah, I just have... You know, like when you really want to... You really want to enjoy a movie. You really want to... You like all the parts. And you like the people involved. And you think it's going to come together in a certain way. And even if it's not what I expected, a lot of times I can pivot and adjust. Mm -hmm. Um, This one just, for some reason, just never grabbed me to to the extent that I thought it was going to. Um, and it's a shame because I, I, I think it's, I think it is, could be a good movie. It if is you, a good movie. <laughs> if you, I, I just think it just misses on so many levels that it's just hard to forgive. Um, and again, I think sometimes when you, are leaving a lot of this stuff up to interpretation. A lot of times I can interpret that as you didn't have the balls to commit one or the other. So you're just trying to say, well, it's up to the audience to decide because I didn't want to decide. So I just left it open.
0: Yeah. No, I, Hey, I, I think that that is totally valid for the beginning that, and we see this all the time where you get that ending Where you know, what happened to the character? Well, I don't know. What do you think would happen to him? I'm not a big fan of that because, you know, I don't want to walk into a film and from a, I would say, maybe a B or C list director or writer, I don't want to sit down for a Rorschach test. I want you to tell me a story. Yeah. So, and I, I don't think this one commits that crime of... Well, depending on if you think he is killing hunters versus sweepers, that says something about you. I I don't think that no, movie's, no. this movie's not going there. Um, but I do think that's a valid criticism to say it didn't commit to a a um definitive story narrative at the beginning, and so it's hard to buy into some of the things that occur or choices make through the film. I think that's a fair criticism. Um, but I think if you take a step back and look at certain sequences, it fits. Um, and there are some things that I would say that, that kind of puts it um, in the right frame uh, for me to kind of buy into the father son relationship. And I don't think Tommy Lee Jones is the good guy. I don't think, you know, uh, Benicio Deltero is the bad guy. I think um, Tommy Lee Jones is a guilt ridden father who's trying to save his son and is pushed to the point that he has to kill him and I think the character of Aaron Hall is surviving. He He's trying to survive. So, I don't know. I, I liked it a lot. I'm glad you, in my opinion, I'm glad you picked this one because I, I was super happy to revisit and, it.
1: And I'm, I'm, I'm still happy I picked it I because I, I wanted to go back and revisit again because I had this weird memory of this movie being, you know, 30 minutes of – that first 30 minutes being the first being the whole 90 minutes runtime. So, you know, I, I'm glad I went back and I'm not disappointed that I got to see Benicio del Toro and Tommy Lee Jones do some cool stuff for a little bit. Um, I, I just wish the execution was a little bit better. I'm not saying that it's sloppily made or, you know, you can see how terribly edited things are. I actually, I think this movie is made very well and it's, Obviously, done by someone who knows the craft, but it's just to me, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I just wish it was, <laughs> it's just missing that something that I just don't, and I think it's just that non committal part of to the script of just wishing that they would make a choice either way, because to me, you know, you got your foot over here and your foot over there, and I, I don't know which way to lean. And, and again, that might be part of the whole reason for making this movie is like, yeah, you're supposed to decide. But again, I, if you have a vision for a movie, I think you should. And, and well, maybe that's his vision. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what freaking was thinking because he's way smarter than me. Um,
0: <laughs> no, but no, that's not. But true, right? I, you
1: know, I, again, I'm glad I, I'm glad I saw this again. <sighs> I think it definitely deserves a revisit, especially if you're like us and you haven't seen it in 17 years. Um, it, it definitely could elicit some, you know, good discussion because I I think you saw it one way. I saw it completely different. Um, and I think we're both right, but, um, again, we, we don't see eye to eye on whether it's necessary. It
0: executes correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. I, I think I think you're spot on is that you can come in with a set of expectations, even if you've seen it before, um, but ultimately if you're watching it from a critical eye, um you know, which is which is what we do for this, right? I mean you and I get a chance, if nothing else, to kind of pick a movie and go, Hey, let's see if we if we think this way about it. We we champion this as not a bomb. Um, or you know, we thought we did at the time that we saw it, and you get to go back and revisit it, and you have to articulate why you think it's a good movie, or maybe maybe it deserved uh, the treatment that it got when it yeah. was released. because so, we you know
1: we usually take like a week and kind of, I mean, definitely you deep dive into a movie and kind of get in involved with almost pretty almost every aspect of how it was made and who's involved and plot and all that stuff, and. Even doing that with this one, it was like I don't know. Like I I see, you know, the hunter stuff. I can see that, but it's like, was it executed well enough for me to see that stuff without being told? And it's like maybe. So I I, I don't know.
0: And and you're right. I mean, if if you, I think the relationship stuff is executed. Um, the tracking stuff. I mean, um, the
1: relationship um, between. The two main characters. The two main characters. Not the, characters not, is, is, not the girlfriend you, character.
0: No, 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 no. The relationship okay. between the two main characters. Because okay. that's all. to me, that's all this movie's about. Yeah. Like, all yeah. the other characters don't matter. Um, and, and they treat
1: it like that, though.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and I'm okay with that because I, I want to dissect the relationship between those two characters.
1: Yeah, I kind of wish it was just them in this movie.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, um, and obviously, they made some choices. If you look at the deleted scenes to cut, you know, they cut a lot of that stuff out there, which was good. Um, but the the Tom Brown Jr. aspect, the oh, look at the survivalist tracking stuff. It, it's movie tracking, so it's 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 not believable. Um, and but all the other aspects of it, I think that Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro bring to their characters are believable. The knife fighting's believable. So I, I'm I'm with you. I, I think you look at this film and you go, here's two columns. What did they get right and what did they get wrong? And the stuff that they got wrong, if they get it wrong too bad, it becomes a distractor for all the things you're going to like in this film. And, and, and I'm in the camp of the stuff that is in this they got it right column just kind of puts all this other stuff in the shadow.
1: Did you have a hearty laugh like I did when he almost gets killed by the Ewok trap? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, So now the question, right? Um, We've talked about it. I I think anybody listening is probably going to know where this is going to land, but Brad, this was your pick. Is it a bomb?
1: It is in fact a bomb. Um, For all the reasons I've said, I just wish it came together for me because it's got such a good premise and it's got, it starts out so well and, I just, once, like again, and again, I'll say it, once that girlfriend character comes in, I could just never get back on track. And I wanted to, again, we spend a whole entire week kind of invested in a movie. So obviously I want to enjoy that part of watching the movie. And to even try so hard to want to like something and to not like it, you know, you you kind (laughs) of... You know, to me, to me, me, the best part of this movie, and this might be a little harsh and I might just be being a jerk, but the Johnny Cash quote at the end, the beginning and the song at the end are the two highlights for me. So, uh,
0: yeah, it is better. My, my dad died the year after. So this is one of the last films that I think we got to see together. Oh,
1: thanks. Now you tell me.
0: (laughs) Well, no, but I didn't know it as soon as, um, as soon as that started, I'm like, oh crap. I remember this. And I remember seeing it with my dad, and I'm like, wait a minute, 2003. Oh my God, this was one of the last ones uh, that we saw together.
1: So it's <laughs> so, not, a, it's not a bomb, Troy. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: no, 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 that's fine. Uh, he's, he's, you know, up there probably judging you harshly, but I'm yeah. not. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I, I it brought out a lot of good memories, and and maybe my view of this film or love, you know, and everybody's that same way. Everybody's got yeah. a film that probably brings back. Uh, the environment or the memory, and it's so strong that you can't not like something. Um, but for me, it, it's Re- not Remo that Williams. Because... Shut up. <laughs> it's still great. Um, but I'm in the other camp. Like the the Tom Brown Jr. stuff, Tom Brown, if if, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm going to call BS. Um,
1: sure... oh, 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 really? Sure. That's, you're going out of a big limb there. <laughs> All
0: right. Um, no, maybe, maybe he's super competent and from all I, from everything I read about him, it, he's kind of a mixed bag, but either way, from the film perspective, um, I like everything, um, that the, really the LT and Aaron character just win me over on this thing. Um, the knife fighting is fantastic. I'm an action junkie. I love seeing that stuff. I love the chase sequences, everything that you have a problem with. I still do, especially that whole middle sequence when he visits his girlfriend is, is super horrible. And, you know, Benicio del Toro, you know, comes almost as a creep pedophile. when <laughs> He's talking to her. He puts on some weird voice, and I'm just like, oh my god, is he gonna, is he gonna kill her?
1: That's kind of um, what I thought where it was going. I was like, um, this is gonna be weird, but yeah, I, I luckily he doesn't go. That. Yeah,
0: but I, I love everything. I, I love every. I I love William Friedkin's choices in this film. Um, and it, again, it solidifies why he's one of my favorite directors. Is he um, really? He, I mean, The Exorcist, for me, is is the best horror film ever made. It's the scariest. I love the French connection, To Live and Die in L.A. Um, I,
1: I think with The Exorcist, and there's not many films that you can say this, but you remember the first time you saw The Exorcist, right? Oh,
0: yeah. Do you yeah. remember yep. the
1: exact place? Yes. Yeah, I do, too. And, and that says something. And, and, again, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the Ask Me... You know, at at some point in time, The Exorcist is always going to be my one or two favorite horror films of all time. So I'm not disagreeing with you there. And I think sometimes when you have someone who's directed that and even The French Connection, your expectations for what they do is pretty lofty.
0: Yeah, and and even something, you know, we'll get to here in a minute, uh, a movie like Sorcerer um, is just freaking amazing. Um, But yeah, I love him as a director, so I, I... you know, I'll be the first to admit I, I become an apologist for people that I love their work. Um, but I think I can, you know, well, heck, I just spent what an hour and 15 minutes justifying why I like the hunted. And I think it works for me, but this is definitely not a bomb in my camp, which I think is funny because the last two movies that have been your pick, um, you've, you've both cited on it's a, it's a
1: bomb. I know. I know. I can't go back to these. You, you got to do some homework before you pick something. Well, man. I mean, I'm trying to do a service for people. Should they go back and, and I'm not saying they shouldn't go back and watch this movie. I think to me, it doesn't work, but I think to some other people for you and, and others, it can work. Um, oh yeah.
0: I, I agree with you hundred percent. I, I, I'm not, I would not be, <laughs> I would not be surprised if some people just came back and were like, yeah, Brad's right. It, it good here. It's good here. But I just couldn't get into it because of the same reasons you exactly. And I I totally get that. Now, if somebody came back and was like, well, it's, it's too much like Rambo. I'd be like, okay, you're an idiot.
1: Yeah. That that's, that's a wrong take. But I I, I think literally you could flip a coin on this movie and I would agree with both takes. I I don't think you're wrong in liking this movie. Um, and I don't think I'm wrong for disliking it. And again, I don't really know if I dislike it as a film. I just, Think I can see why it doesn't work, right? Um, as a as a you know reviewing well and as a um, box office success, I can see exactly why it bombed, and I think it is truly earned it um, for the way it kind of tries to play in both um, kind of plots and and really doesn't kind of commit to either side. Um, and, and again, you're asking an audience um, to make some narrative choices. Yeah, but you're asking an audience that wants to come in and see. And again, it is not the fault of the director to have an audience come in and expect one thing and get something else.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and that's I, I not think their it, fault. Yeah, I think but, it delivers for the most part if anybody's looking for a good thriller. Um, but if if you're like, oh, I, I just want to see wall to wall punching hitting stabbing it's it's not that film yeah but even but even something
1: like again like the fugitive not wall-to-wall action and has a lot of points where it slows down but i think you know if you want to say that is leaps and bounds better than this movie um, i I
0: don't disagree fugitive i think is is a classic
1: yeah yeah so i mean but again you know you have character development in that um
0: it, it's it was going for something totally different yeah this, exactly this is, yeah fugitive has much more going on this is intentionally meant as a as a lean just action film that is that sole purpose is to look at the narrative arc of two characters and it, fugitive is not
1: no and again it's just <laughs> it's it's in the atmosphere of this movie, um, just as a comparison. But I, I understand that, again, you cast you know Tommy Lee Jones and you're kind of in a chase movie. You're going to get that comparison. Of course. No, I, so,
0: I, I totally get it. So, um, you know, we're going to have to start keeping score or something. Like how many score. Bombs?
1: Well, so I thought maybe what we would do is actually start ranking the films that we've watched from what we've, what, what is the best to the worst? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I have
0: to publish that. I mean, Remo's first, but that's okay. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) All (laughs) right. I I, I already (laughs) take back that idea. (laughs) Um,
0: well, let's talk about next week. So next week is my pick. Um, we're going to do something that was very similar to how we did the first episode. Um, when, when we were putting this together and we were going through an entire list, I know, I, I don't know if you did this, one of the things that I did when you kind of pitched the concept and was, hey, let's talk about movies that are bombs but you know shouldn't be underappreciated. So I or maybe you
1: know, they are. <laughs> or
0: maybe they are. So you you Google like uh you know bombs that shouldn't be whatever you want to put in there. And there's one movie that um well there's a couple of movies that pop up on lists over and over, but this one kind of struck me as odd, and for two reasons. One. A lot of people that I know talk about this film. It's one I haven't seen, so very similar to Children of Men. Um, and like Children of Men, I bought it because everybody told me to buy it like many years ago, uh, but I've never watched it. It's sitting on the, the watch pile. Um, and I, since we're kind of closing July from the action month, I, I almost think you, you can't go cold turkey. So you need something with a little bit of action in it but probably more heavily slated into another genre. So think of this as the transition film, right? <laughs> so I, I was going through our list and, and again, revisiting some other lists that are out there. And this film kept popping up. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I want to see this film. Everybody says they love it. Uh, somebody actually got nominated for an Academy Award, didn't win in this film. And I'm like, hey, I think it makes a good transition film, right? Coming off of all the uh, action adrenaline. So um, Brad, how about next week we tackle 2011's Warrior?
1: I would love to. Okay. And yes, we can't just do it alone. We can't. We well, cannot. Who
0: who do we know that likes? Now this is this is considered a sports film, right?
1: It is a sports. Well, yeah, 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 because it is MMA. It's a. MMA, right? Yes, which okay. is a sport. Yes.
0: Yes. Um. We, we, We need to bring somebody that has the big personality who can really talk sports movies in general um, and is just a total uh, blast to spend some time with. So who do you got in mind?
1: We are bringing in our our very good friend Charlie to talk about this movie. Um, Yeah, Charlie. It will be a lot of fun. Um, Rumor has it he can do a a great Nick Nolte. So let's hopefully he brings (laughs) that.
0: Um, uh, Gauntlet Throne.
1: You know, I, I I told you the other day because we were trying to set this up that I had seen this movie in the past six months. I think. Uh huh. I am so ready to watch this movie again. Um, because I'm excited. It, yes, yes, I am. This is one of those movies that I I see. It has budget of X, but it made way less than that, and you're just like, how, how, how did how did this movie? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I, it's one that – it's kind of like
0: Children of Men. Everybody says it's great. Uh, it's got good reviews. Didn't really make any money. Um, and uh, even the cover art, I was looking at the the Blu-ray that was sitting out there, and it's, you know, the, Rocky. The movie Rocky gets thrown around with this one. So I, sometimes I, I think for me that's what's kind of put me off from it. It's like, ah, Rocky clone, not really interested I'll watch it when I find time. It's not going to make it to the top of the stack. But, man, as many times as this thing has shown up on so many lists, I'm like, i, I got to dip my toes in this
1: I don't thing. see the rock. Okay, so it's more – I don't want to say anything.
0: No, nope, but... save it. Save it. i got to watch it. I'm ready for it. Um, so the other thing I was going to bring up is um, thank you, everybody who's listened and has even sent us some suggestions. We did have some suggestions come through. One of the ones I want to mention... Um, and you're um, out
1: on the recruiting trail, too, from what I hear. You're out, you know, just pimping the podcast all the time. I'm, I'm
0: trying... Well, you know, I've, I said... I can't remember which episode. Movies are the... are the uh, It's that one topic you can go to a room, you can talk with everybody about, and everybody's got their favorite. Um, and when you start asking people, like, uh, well, what's the movie that just kind of is a bomb and, and you love? You get some interesting ones. So I'm going to tell you about a couple that came through, but one came through from somebody that we know very close... Um, and he's a fantastic guy he's probably he's probably the best guy that uh, we know in terms of anything we need I mean he comes through but yeah, I Randy could really Katzen. I
1: could really use more jerky to be honest with you. So. <laughs> yes this
0: guy should just quit whatever he's doing and open a store and just make jerky um, but Randy Katzen, um had given us a couple of suggestions and this one stuck out because he was asking what we were reviewing this week and so I talked about the hunted and freaking he goes well you got to do sorcerer so um, that one's going to be officially uh, added to the list. He gave us a couple of other ones, but um, I think that one is going to make it a little bit uh, sooner than later.
1: It'll so that's, us, uh, wa- that's Wages of Fear, right? It's a is remake
0: that- of Wages of Fear, um, and it came out—well, um, I don't want to get into it. There's a l- So according to Randy, it's one that we really got to dive into because it's not just interesting in terms of the reception of the film— Um, but also what it did to Freakin's career at that time. So um, he he got me um, really kind of going for that. And then here were some others that popped up from a couple of random people. Um, King of Comedy. Oh, okay. Jerry Lewis, Robert De Niro. Yes. Right? Okay. Um, A Simple Plan, which was a Sam Raimi film. Okay. That he did. Um, Mulholland Drive. David Lynch.
1: Yeah, I've seen that.
0: Okay. Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Ooh. Yep. Iron Giant. I totally forgot that thing. Just, I mean, that's a cultural so, okay. animated
1: film. Funny you say that. My son is huge into robots. We watch Iron Giant probably once a week. So I can oh, <laughs> I can literally tell you everything <laughs> about that movie.
0: We'll have to do that one. And then um, a couple more I thought was interesting. Um, Talk Radio, which I think was an Oliver Stone film if i remember correctly yes um hamlet 2 which i have seen and is absolutely hilarious hamlet 2 hamlet 2 i think it's steve coogan is that from 2008 i i I think so it's it's just watch the trailer it's absolutely hilarious um the devil's double um, and, oh, and this one. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I have the original poster. I, I probably own like three or four different Blu-rays of this thing, plus lasers. I, uh, anytime this gets released on media, I bought it and held on to it. Um, Walter Hill's Streets of Fire.
1: I've so, not seen Streets of Fire.
0: Oh, my goodness. We're going to educate you. But – Thank you for everybody who kind of um, sent a text or you know tweeted something and just said how about this one. Yeah. Now there was one. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on a uh, guest that has shown up. So um, John, our good friend, we're gonna have him on back uh, very soon, um, real soon actually. We're we're kind of kicking some stuff around, but he wanted to pass on a film um, that he thought we should review and and I've never even heard of it before. So I'm gonna ask you. If have you ever heard of a film directed by Rob Schneider called uh I think it's Big Stan?
1: Big Stan or Big Fan? Um
0: oh, let me big, pull
1: Stan. One. big Stan.
0: Big uh, Stan uh, and apparently has David Carradine in it.
1: Oh gosh. Um
0: yeah, and it's uh John, you know, it's recommended a, this one. It's a it's prison
1: a, it says it's a prison comedy. Uh, apparently it's directed and produced by... And starring Rob Schneider. And he does martial arts in it.
0: So... I don't know. <laughs> this one... So here's the funny thing. Some of these requests come through. They're no-brainers. This one, we're going to have to research, John. I, I don't know about... I mean, if you had told me, hey, Rob Schneider did a kung fu action comedy about going to prison, and I watched the trailer, and I'm like, oh, wow... Um, David Carradine. Looks interesting. Um, yeah, I went ahead and got the DVD. It's on its way because oh I do want to check it out.
1: <laughs> what are you doing with your life, troll? You
0: have too much disposable income. to. Uh, no, it's not that. It's just this is one of those things where it can go one way. It probably is that gem that John recommends it to be, which I hope it is. Um, or it is so terrible um, that it's, it's going to be like, oh, yeah. This yeah, he's going to be
1: like, yeah, I can't believe you guys actually fell for that.
0: Okay. Well, let's – We'll see. Okay. We'll see. All right. But, hey, thanks, everybody, for the uh, recommendations. <laughs> I hope you Brad, wrote all, you all those wanna... down
1: because I did not.
0: Uh, I did. I got a list. There were okay. a bunch more that um I got to go and find out who uh, sent us these. Um, but, yeah, let – keep them coming. Cause we're, we're adjusting the list based on kind of what we like. Um, obviously something like the hunted snuck in cause we wanted to do another action movie for July. So we, we don't have theme months. We, we got a couple that are brewing. Yeah. Um, so more on that soon. We need but, some
1: horror but... movies. I will say that some what some horror movies.
0: Oh yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's in our,
1: maybe house. for October. I don't know why, but you know, we might need
0: <laughs> it around the corner.
1: Yeah. Um, um
0: what's all the details Brad like yes. how, how do people like communicate with
1: us So my my wife brought this up and it, it was a good point um she's like you never say what your website is and I'm like oh yeah so our website is <laughs> notabombpodcast.com. if you want to go awesome. if you want to go there um there's links to you know all the major uh podcast catchers um iTunes Overcast Spotify things like that um but on Twitter we are um at not a bomb pod. And the, our email account is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can uh, send us your suggestions. Um, you can let me know that I am not wrong about Remo Williams, uh, last action <laughs> not hero, gonna happen. not going to And now the hunted. So, and again, I hate being this jerk that just doesn't like anything, but
0: you're super critical.
1: I am. I am.
0: That's okay. That's why it works. Okay. I'm, I'm like like everything (laughs) (laughs) and you're super critical.
1: So, um, yeah. And like I said, we got some stuff brewing, um, some ideas for some things, uh, guests coming back. Um, every once in a while, it's nice to just have Troy and I, but, um, always having that third person to kind of, um, you know, bounce ideas off of is also nice too. So we'll be, we'll keep that third chair rotating with some people that we, uh, are close with, um, what else Troy?
0: No, that's it, man. It's, it's awesome. I'm, I'm glad it was just you and I kind of going through this one. Cause, uh, I wanted to do a nice deep dive and, <laughs> and find out. Um, I had a sense just based on some things we were exchanging this week. It, it wasn't going to just be <laughs> all, uh, love for this film, um, across the board. So, uh, it was fun. It was, it was, Fun to revisit, and I'm glad you picked it.
1: Yeah, so you were like the Tommy Lee Jones character, and I was the Benicio Del Toro character? Is that what you're trying to say?
0: Uh, are you calling me old?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're older than I am, and I feel like I'm getting old, so. Uh,
0: okay, yeah. all right. Well, hey, listen, folks, thanks for tuning in. Um, as Brad said, send us any comments, your feedback. Uh, Brad needs some love. Somebody needs to chime in and <laughs> tell him how uh, right he is, because Natalie's not going to tell you right.
1: No, she's still <laughs> mad at me about Remo, so I got it. As
0: she should be, because <laughs> she's awesome. But, um, no, thanks for thanks for joining in. And um, if you're playing along, I think Warrior's, like, available
1: everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty – yeah, you can get it everywhere um not on 4k though i wish it'd be one of those movies i think it would be a great movie to kind of see in really high definition so
0: i can't i can't wait to jump in i i will crack open the blu-ray that's been sitting there for like five six years so we'll we'll dust it off and and for anybody i didn't know this it's it's two and a half hours i mean it it's a long one
1: it's an hour it's 140 minutes
0: okay yeah so you know pack a lunch there you go. It's not it's not the uh, 88 minute movie that Brad likes. <laughs> so by default, it's awesome because it's got more time. Yeah, right?
1: it's like double. It's double that okay. almost.
0: And uh, Charlie, if you're listening, you you better be practicing that Nick Nolte impression because we expect you to talk like that the entire time. The entire time. Exactly. All right. Anything else, Brad? That is
1: it. All right. Well, have a good night. All right. Bye, guys.